0: how to pray properly because it's our it's it's our prime one of our prime weapons in spiritual warfare against the enemy it gives us the ability to have the advantage over our adversary please help us to pray more not beg more not petition more but to pray more that is fellowship with you converse with you commune with you listen to you agree with you obey you we ask that you would help us in that area in jesus name we all pray amen amen so real quickly listen to this prayer and uh and i will let you go in psalms 20 we have a good music coming up from sister mary louise and a celebration hymn coming up as well uh but if you will turn to second chronicles old testament book i'm going to read a prayer give you a few comments and uh we'll be done 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 5, reads as follows. King Jehoshaphat, he was a king, stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard of the temple of the Lord. He prayed, and here's his prayer. Uh, your humble servant, Pastor Will, thinks this is one of the best prayers in scripture for a multitude of reasons, which I'll explain shortly. Here's what he prayed, guys. He said, "O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Oh, our God, verse 7, everyone. Oh, our God. Say that with me. Oh, our God. Did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And he's talking, he's going back to the days of Joshua and uh, the days of um, uh, Moses. He said, and did you not give this land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Sister Jamie asked a question. We were talking about this a little bit this morning in Sunday school about this land God gave to Israel. He gave it to Abraham, and he gave it to the descendants of Abraham. So this was a promise made back in Genesis chapter 12. He goes on in this great prayer. I'm on verse 8 of 2 Chronicles 20. Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. They said, whenever we are faced with calamity, such as war, plague, or famine, we can come to stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us and you will hear us and rescue us. Great word so far, right? Killer prayer. Here's how he concludes it. And now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. I gave an example this morning. If you wanna personalize this, Now see what the armies of Russia, China, and North Korea are doing. They're ganging up to attack us. People that you have blessed, that you have helped, have now become our sworn enemies. And their goal is to annihilate us and wipe us off the face of the earth. I want you to put it in those terms, because we know about China, Russia, and North Korea. Those are just examples I came up with. Uh, It could have been Canada, Mexico, and Argentina. But be, it, be that as it may, if, imagine three powerful world power nations with nuclear armament and millions and millions of soldiers coming against the United States. And, and we have no chance against them militarily. That's essentially what Jehovah is praying. I want, you to, I want you to personalize this prayer. I want you to take it out of the context of 2 Chronicles. Take out of the context of ancient Israel. This is 879, 80 years, almost 1,000 years before Jesus. That's how long ago this took place. 1,000 years before Jesus, roughly, and now 2,000 years since Jesus. So this prayer, ladies and gentlemen, this prayer was prayed approximately 3,000 years ago. You're talking ancient history. I mean, not back to the pyramids but you're talking a long, long time ago. And I want you to see how on point this 3,000 year old prayer is in 2024, specifically January 21st, 2024. How relevant this prayer is and how much it can help us today. All right? So here's how he concludes this great prayer. He says, I'm gonna drop down to verse 11. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance." That's part of the problem with the Palestinian conflict and the Gaza Strip and some of the Arab nations around Israel. I don't, I don't know what the solution is. I don't profess to be any sort of ambassador or a diplomat or can understand international affairs. but it's gonna be tough for me to understand how you can extricate anybody from that land over there when they all think they own it. They all feel that they're entitled to it. But what the Bible says, at least for whatever is Israel, the Bible says that you gave us this land as an inheritance. That to me, puts an exclamation, that's a mic drop moment in terms of what are we talking about here? There's not a a whole lot to argue about. You might argue about boundaries. You might argue about ethnicity. You might argue about, you know, is there a statute of limitations, but you can't argue about the statement that God puts in his word that this was an inheritance. And he concludes by saying, he concludes by saying in verse 12, O our God, won't you stop them we are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us we do not know what to do but our eye the king james version but our eyes are on you may the lord add a blessing to the reading of his word L- let me let me let me just summarize and say this prayer this prayer has reverence in it This prayer has honor in it, but what I really wanted to point out to you before I sit down about this prayer and why I think it's so relevant in this little mini series on spiritual warfare is that the prayer teaches us how biblical prayer should be constructed. It's very similar to the Lord's Prayer or sometimes known as the Disciples Prayer in Matthew 6. Our Father who art in heaven Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Let's just stop right there and listen to this prayer and see if you see a very great correlation. He says, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven. You are the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth you are powerful and mighty no one can stand against you that to me is very similar to the lord's prayer at least in its, in its very beginning the origins of it is to me it seems very similar and i think what that teaches me about prayer what it teaches us about prayer is that a prayer should be reverent prayer should be honorable we're coming to the master of the universe, we're coming to the God of the of the universe, the God of all living things, the creator, singular, the, the, the intelligent creator of all things, the, the God who created heaven and earth, according to Genesis 1-1. We're coming before him. And, and I think just by that alone, we should show deference, we should show respect, we should honor. So all prayer should be done in that. Whether it's a casual prayer, whether it's a silent prayer, whether it's an audible prayer, whether it's a public prayer, it should be done with reverence and respect. That we are coming before God, and we give God His due diligence, His due honor. It we we give Him deference, we give Him exaltation, we give Him a place of 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 uh, of honor of exaltation. And that, that to me is, is number one. And I, I won't go through all the points that I think he made that hit the ball out of the park, but I will say the last point he makes is, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And we talked in Sunday school about the answer to that prayer and the prayer was, Lord help us. We have no solutions, we have no ideas. I think when we are the most vulnerable is when God can show himself the most powerful. Our extremities are God's opportunities. So I think what he's saying is that, look, when you come to the end of yourself, when you've exhausted all of your resources, when you're fresh out of ideas, when you have no options, options A, B, C, D, E, and F, all exhausted, and you're just fresh out of plans, that's when God can show himself the most powerful. That's when he is seemingly to us at his best. According to 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, around verse 5, when he says that, that when we are, our weakness is when he shows his strength. He says that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. When we're depleted, when we surrender, when we give up and say, I can't do anything. I have nothing to bring to the table. God says, that's exactly where I want you. That's when God shows himself strong. That's when God does the miraculous on our behalf. When we quit trying and quit interfering and quit messing things up, making them worse, muddying the waters, blowing things up. When we stop and say, Lord, help me, I don't know what to do about this situation. I don't know what to do about my kids. I don't know what to do about my spouse. I don't know what to do about my relatives. I don't know what to do about my neighbors. I don't know what to do about my boss, my coworkers, my cousins, my friends, my classmates, my teachers. I don't know what to do about them. Help me. Help me. I defer to you. That, And I'm, I don't mean just saying it with lip service. I mean really, really meaning it. I think God can just show himself amazing to us, amen? And boy, did he ever come through. Does God, God come through for you? And you know, one of the other things that, that Jehoshaphat did that, that's so great is that he reminded, not that he was technically reminding God, but he was reminding himself of what God had already done for him. I put in my notes that he referred back to past victories past successes where God had come through and he used that to bolster his faith that lord you did this for us before you delivered us before you helped us before you del- you saved us before i'm just asking lord that you would do it again that gives me more faith because you've shown a precedent it's been done before amen so this prayer please go back and read it read it multiple times it's a very short prayer you could probably consume the whole prayer in less than two minutes less than one minute really because it's it's a prayer that i think gives us a a, a template a a, a roadmap, as it were Of how to pray biblically, how to pray effectively. And James says that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, availeth much. Marcus, am I out of frame right now? Because I'm looking at my multi camera and it's pointing to Sister Ethel, and as beautiful as she is, she's not teaching this morning. (laughs) You <laughs> are you getting me on this camera back? Then? Yeah, yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. I, I, you notice I've been afraid to walk around. Yes, you have. You I'm have. Trying I'm trying sorry. I'm the Camera <laughs> to face this way. So all you beautiful people could see me. So, OK. All right. Great. All <laughs> right. So <laughs> a fine time for me to say that when I'm sitting down. But be that as it may. But at any rate, I, I just think that this prayer is worth our time and study. Amen. I mentioned a book, I mentioned a book in Sunday school that I want to reiterate. A great book. If you can find it, library is a good source, or possibly Amazon. A book by J.B. Phillips entitled Your God is Too Small. Please try to find that book. It's a very small book. You can read it in a day. It's less than a hundred pages, I believe. It's called Your God is Too Small, written by J.B. Phillips, a British. a a British minister and theologian who wrote several things, including editing the New Testament in a a, essentially a paraphrase version. Beautiful, uh, beautiful book. Your God is too small. And in the book, the premise of the book is that he points out that we have marginalized God and made him so small that we've kind of like given him human attributes. I think, the title, I think the word is anthropomorphism. It's a word that means that we ascribe to God human qualities and human characteristics. And as a result, we rob God of his divinity. We rob him of his sovereignty. That's one definition of the word. There are others uh, that I won't get into. Me and a pastor friend of mine were discussing this particular term this week. But last week, but the point that I'm making is that in the book he's talking about, let's not make God like us. God is greater than the president. He's greater than the prime minister. He's greater than the heads of state. He's greater than the joint chiefs of staff. He is God. He is sovereign. He has no equal. He has no peer. And I think that our faith is in him because of who he is. Regardless of what we're going through, our faith is in God because of who he is. Amen. Don't listen, as I sit down, don't just come to church every Sunday and listen to the word and listen to the songs and listen to the testimonies and enjoy the fellowship and not let it have an impact on you. If, if this is not transformative, if this is not changing your thinking, then it's not effective, then you're not using this right. You're not applying this right. This is not about checking a box. This is not about fulfilling an obligation, coming to church. What we do here, this is what you see here. There's no brownie points for this. Matter of fact, Paul says it so well in Romans story, we say, listen, uh, having a sacrifice, this is your, wait for it, this is your reasonable service. In other words, this is not above and beyond the call of duty. What we're doing right now, right here, this is what we're supposed to do. This is our reasonable service. That means God is not giving out any plaques or stars or medals or awards for coming to church on Sundays. He's not. This is what we should do. This is the least that we can do, right? This is the least that we can do in showing our gratitude, our appreciation, our thankfulness to who God is and what he's done please make sure that when you come here every sunday that you're going home with something more than what you came with that you learned something you heard something you felt something something was reiterated something was reinforced something was was confirmed something was denied what what some some idea that was wrong was dismissed something should be changing even at a very nano level a minute level Something should be improving some way, somehow. We need to be advancing our walk, moving the needle, getting more like Jesus every week. Just some small way. Even if if it's something like I didn't pray much last week, I'm going to pray a little more this week. I told a lie last week. I'm going to try not to tell a lie this week. Maybe I told four lies. Maybe this week I'll try to just tell two lies. No, just kidding. <laughs> but I want to I do something. I want to do something that moves the knee. I want to get better, right? Be a little nicer. Be a little nicer. Maybe you didn't tip the waitress or waiter because they weren't as kind as they should have been. So you know what? This week I'm going to give them a tip even if they weren't. I'm gonna say something nice even when someone says something nasty. I'm gonna be kind even when it's not reciprocated. These, you know, I know know it sounds funny. It sounds ridiculous, but those show little graces, little improvements, little Christ likenesses that start to take over our thinking. So we're not tit for tat. Everything doesn't have to be responded in kind. Amen. God bless you, Sister uh, Mary's gonna sing. And just before Sister Mary sings, I'm gonna ask Tim if he'll just give prayer and thanks over our offering and our gifts. Tim and then Sister Mary Louise.